Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now your host, also an Illinois political know-it-all, <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Deja Vu Friday. And here's why. Woke up this morning, thought I had back... I had gone back in time. First thing I heard on the radio was a song by the Young Rascals, one of Dennis's favorite groups. Love them. Uh, I'm in love with a girl like you. I will now sing it. I'm in love with... Uh. Anyway, uh, that song is from 1967. I thought I had gone back in time to 1967. Next thing I know, I'm on the phone talking to my dear friend, Mick Dumkey about this, that, and the other thing. We end up having an argument as, as to which song is better, Only the Good Die Young or New York State of Mind. Yes, we were debating the great hits of Billy Joel. How about that? Oh, thought boy. I... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing <laughs> screams old white guys more. No, no, no. no. Nothing screams a lizard <laughs> more than having a debate over Billy Joel. For the record, let me just say this. The only Billy Joel song I still like is New York State of Mind. I love that song. Uh, Mick uh, contends that there's at least 10 other Billy Joel songs better than that. Dennis is weighing in right now with his opinion. Well, if, uh, if you're listening on uh, the live stream <laughs> chat, weigh in. What's the best Billy Joel song? Nothing. How about that? Oh. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, that I guess that would have taken us back in time into the 1970s. Uh, and so, oh, and uh, last night I finally got around to watching Gilmore Girls. How about that, Dean? Oh, thank goodness. It took me back in time to like 2000. Ramada's going to give me so much heat about that one. Uh, and your kids have moved out of the house, right? <laughs> everybody's gone. It's a long story on why I started watching Gilmore Girls. I'll explain it later. Anyway, so there we go. I'm back in time, and I wake up this morning and get up my beloved bright one, home delivered as always. Here is that newspaper. Show those listeners that newspaper. Uh, and it was also my Tribune that was also home delivered. All right. Thought I'd gone back in time to 2011. And what was the story? I'll read you the headline from Franz Spielman's article. Clinics still closed. Mayor's nominee for health post hits snags. It talks about the testimony from Mayor Lori Lightfoot's choice to become Chicago's new health commissioner yesterday. Her name is Dr. Allison Arwadi. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, Arwadi. Uh, <laughs> We're not too good at that. Man, did you see Babs giving me grief on uh, Facebook for mispronouncing uh, Manuel's name? Oh, Jeff Manuel? Yeah, I got to give Babs credit. How many times? Is <laughs> I mean, you just did it again. Yeah, you said a manual. Uh, I, I don't believe I said manual. I said manual. Huh? Let's go back in time. Let's rewind the tape. Oh, it is deja vu. Hey, Friday. man, did you hear how many times that Babs making fun of me for mispronouncing Emmanuel's name? Huh? You did it again. Anyway, um, that was pretty funny, Babs. I got to give you credit for that. Uh, anyway, so. So, uh, Arwadi or... Uh, Uptown Ar Girl. Pat Rod says Uptown Girl. Uh, 
Town girl. Oh God, she's been living. Uh, that's you know, I just heard all these songs too many times, but I still like New York State of Mind. Anyway, Uptown Girl was a good song. All right, uh, so uh, Doctor Arwady or Arwadi, whatever it is, I'm sure she's a fine doctor. I've, no, I've like me. Yeah, <laughs> I hope she's a little better at being a doctor than you are. I'm just not in denial. Every time someone says she, uh, Doctor Arwadi, uh, not a doctor. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> can she do a stop set intro? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think she went to radio school. Uh, anyway, uh, so Dr. Arwadi is uh, testifying in front of the, uh, the city council, who I'm sure they're getting ready to approve her. They generally approve uh, most commissioners that uh, the mayor nominates. And then they get into the issue of the mental health clinics that Mayor Rahm closed back in 2011. That's what brought back the um, uh, the memory of 2011. She said, Arwadi said, that Emanuel had no choice but to consolidate the city's 12 mental health clinics after Chicago lost 90% of the $8 million in annual state funding used to support these clinics. And I was like, oh, my God, no choice? No choice? Like, no choices. It's like if I have, I go to a restaurant, and they only have one thing on the menu. You have no choice. You got to order what they have on the menu. Or, oh, of course, I guess your choice is you could leave the restaurant. But if you want to eat at the restaurant, you have no choice. But to, no, Rob could have done a million things. Like, a million dollars worth of money just sitting around in TIF reserves. Here's the deal, folks. In 2011, Mayor Rahm, in his infinite wisdom, decided it was a good idea to close mental health clinics in poor neighborhoods where people were under fire from gun violence. Made no sense on any level. At the same time, he was endorsing TIF handouts for a downtown development project in River North area for the uh, uh, the Marriott Hotel TIF deal on the South Loop and the Hyatt Hotel TIF deal in, in Hyde Park. And I'm just doing this off, by the way, you got a off memory, the, uh, the uh, Dominic's or the grocery store TIF deal in Greektown. All right. All, so he, if you want a choice, if you want to help the most vulnerable who are in the middle of crime-ravaged areas deal with mental health issues, you have a choice. You could take money from that's being allocated for development in gentrifying neighborhoods. That was your choice. He chose to cut the mental health clinics. And by the way, that initiated an out, outburst of protests for mental health activists and they had sit-ins with in mayor Rahm's office to talk about it and he ran out the back door rather than meet with them so instead of like working with activists in the area working with knowledgeable people in the area, working with patients in the area to figure out how you could find the money to keep these clinics open he just decided just to close the clinics and just walk away from it and figuring he would just survive it well guess what it was a very unpopular decision, and it undercut the credibility of the mayor. And now I, to find a new mayor appointing a new commissioner uh, defending that position is like taking me back to a time that I thought we had escaped from. I thought we've evolved from 2011. I thought we learned our lessons from 2011. Like I said, I do not know Dr. Arwardy. I'm sure she's a wonderful physician. I'm sure she's a great doctor. Some of the aldermen are defending her already, saying she's a wonderful physician. But when I hear a Democratic nominee articulating Republican-like proposals that hit hardest at the poorest of the poor, it makes me wonder, like, why do we have a Democratic Party in the first place? 
You're supposed to have, you're supposed to represent values. You know, it reminds me of the uh, first couple of debates where some of the quote unquote centrist Democrats were attacking Bernie Sanders, uh, Medicare for all plan on the guys in the, uh, under the argument that somehow or other they were standing up for unions who had negotiated health care plans that were uh, advantageous to their workers. We're standing up for the unions, they said, as a justification for caving in to what? The medical industry, whoever's opposing Medicare for all, caving in uh, is disguised as standing up for. Tell that to the uh, striking UAW workers in Michigan who are asked to be choose or being asked to choose between rising premiums, paying for rising premiums and uh, cuts in their uh, income, in in their salary. Ask that the same question to uh, Chicago teachers who are about to go on strike over a similar issue. So the notion that you were defending union workers uh, by running away from a fight for Medicare for all is ridiculous, just as it is absurd to say that you're defending the cuts and closing of mental health clinics because you had no choice. Democrats, stop acting like Republicans. We already have too many of the real thing. Today, we're talking politics, 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 and what else, D? Politics. Politics. And we start with the news from the young doctor from Alton. Hey, everybody. How's it going? My name's Dennis. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Would it kill you to just say Dennis with the news? <laughs> and explain who I am every time. The young man this, from Alton. The pride of joy of Southwest High School. Huh? Southwestern. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Came close. Let's find out what's happening in Illinois and or Chicago. No public event scheduled for the Illinois governor today. And for the record, I love puppies. <laughs> but he did make news on Monday, and apparently J.B. Pritzker also loves Lincoln. Ah. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tina's Fondellas. It's been plagued with problems for years, but the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum is not hanging up its hat. I think it's a Lincoln hat joke there. Uh, days after Governor J.B. Pritzker announced the U.S. Transportation Secretary and former Republican Congressman Ray LaHood would be overseeing the board of the Springfield Lincoln Library and Museum, the governor on Monday announced the addition of six new board members. Pritzker's office said by statute, the board must feature four public members and one expert uh, each in business, Lincoln's history, Illinois history, library and museum studies, historic preservation, cultural tourism, uh, conservation, digitalization, and technological innovation. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Way to go, J.B. Pritzker. Uh, because aside from creating a time travel committee to go back and stop that jerk John Wilkes booth, you've come up with the best way in 2019 <laughs> to save Abraham Lincoln. I'm not a perfect person. My God, he will not go away. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel is back in the news again. So long, bicycle helmet, and Lord save us all. He's got his political pundit helmet on again. Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, that political uh, pundit helmet fresh with a sweet Joe Biden decal. (laughs) Uh, Just to let everybody know. Although he'll be the first to throw Joe off the bus if the polls fall. You watch. Uh, I really like uh, Elizabeth Warren. Here I thought Ben Jarofsky was the biggest Joe Biden lover. No, no. (laughs) Mayor Rahm Emanuel. I got the tattoo. You want to see it? Oh, that is sweet. All right. Well, more on that in moments. But first, Ben, you were talking about it uh, just minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And boy, did you talk about it in your latest Chicago Reader article. We have more updates on the possible Chicago teacher strike to discuss here. Will they strike? 
or will a deal get cut? That's been the question for about a week now. No definite answer yet, but we now have a deadline. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. Chicago teachers, school support staff, and park district workers have set a joint October 17th strike deadline, giving the city and 35,000 public employees less than 15 days to hammer out deals. Leaders from the Chicago Teachers Union and Service Employees International Union Local 73, the union that uh, represents some school support staff and the majority of Chicago Park District workers, announced the unified deadline Wednesday evening as chanting workers in red and purple shirts filled the CTUs near West Side headquarters. Here's the quote from CTU President Jesse Sharkey, quote, the mayor has a difficult choice right now. The mayor can either do what's right at the table or can face a unified strike of both CTU and SEIU together. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Chicago Public Schools CEO Janice Jackson said in a statement Wednesday evening that the city is, quote, fully prepared for a strike and that school buildings would be kept open, quote, to ensure students have a safe and welcoming place to spend the day and warm meals to eat. Here's more from the mayor in the school chief statement. We will continue bargaining at an aggressive pace to reach a deal that is fair to our teachers and staff, supports the record-setting progress we've made, and promotes the best interests of Chicago families so that we do not have to open our school buildings without the educators and staff members who are so crucial to our district's success. CTU's Jesse Sharkey said the city made its first, quote, serious offer at the end of last week after teachers voted 94% in favor of a strike. Still, he said the school's district proposal fell short in a number of key areas, including teacher preparation time, class sizes, and how to address staffing shortage. Ben Jarofsky, what say you? We have a deadline. Are we going to uh, reach a deal or not? Well, as you know, I predicted we would uh, reach a deal in 2012 without a strike, and I was wrong. So I'm always hesitant uh, to double down on something. Uh, I, I I get the feeling that we're heading toward a strike. But you know what, D? I'm going to put out good vibrations. All right. Okay. All right. So it's like last year, and I had to predict how many games the Bulls are going to win. Oh, okay. I said they were going to win 50, and I just put that vibration out there. I think you said the Bears were going to win the Super Bowl, too. I, I, and they were going to go undefeated. Yeah. And, of course, they blew that right. on the opening yeah. game. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, great quarterback. Uh, anyway, uh, so no sports talk. Uh, so I'm going to put the good vibrations out. I'm going to say they're going to cut a deal. Uh, pretty much everybody I talk to who's got any way uh, involved in this, either on one side or the other, has, is telling me it's going to a strike. But there I am. No, D, you watch. They're going to cut a deal at the very end. I, I think I I started off talking about how confrontation is scary. I'm not a uh, – it's – Demanding something does not come easy to me, so I can really appreciate the difficulty of what the teachers are doing. Uh, and I get nervous when somebody makes a demand that could, like, forces a confrontation. So I'm feeling that nervousness. It's like a, it is like a sporting event. When your team, you want your team to win and you realize that that other team wants to win just as bad, and someone is going to walk away with the victory and someone is going to walk away losing, that's, that's kind of the feeling I have now. Now, you hope it's not like a baseball game, like everybody can claim a little something uh, and everybody can claim a little bit of a victory and they can reach some kind of a conciliation. I don't see it coming, D. I don't see the rhetoric on either side uh, heading in that direction. And I um, I got a feeling uh, I got a feeling that uh, there's some major concessions that Lori Lightfoot does not want to make regarding uh, uh staffing she does not want to make those guarantees i talked about that in my story so 
even though I'm predicting just for the sake of sending out good vibrations that they'll cut a deal, very worried. <laughs> All right. By the way, if you've yet to check it out, you should. The latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. It's titled Busted Priorities. He's talking all about the Chicago teacher strike. It's posted on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page at Benny J Show and the Chicago Reader uh, website as well, chicagoreader.com. Ben, tell us uh, some of uh, the reactions you've been getting with your article from people. Well, I, uh, <laughs> if, uh, I've gotten a lot of favorable reactions for people who uh, are on the side of the teachers. And the other side, hold on, let me get the knife out. You <laughs> all oh, that hurt. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, my position... Uh, is that uh, the things that the teachers are asking for in terms of cla lower class size and uh, wraparound services and nurses, uh, social workers, et cetera, are things that the city should have delivered long ago. They should have delivered them during the days of ROM. Well, I go back to daily for that matter, but definitely during the days of ROM and uh, Lori Lightfoot should have signed on to, to it early on. And the fact that the teachers are having to demand that making a strike issue out of it go on strike to get the city to do the right thing is upsetting. And, uh, so I'd like to just—I would like to put aside that the the issue of the contentious relationship between the Chicago Teachers Union and Lori Lightfoot, and just concentrate on what a city, a civilized school system, does on behalf of its children. And I don't believe—I believe our city is falling short. I feel our city has been falling short for years. There's tremendous inequities in the public school system. Uh, when we were talking at the hideout just the other day, uh, uh, Alderman Jeanette Taylor was talking about uh, the poor schools in her South Side neighborhoods. Uh, we have. Andrea Parker, a public school teacher, came on the show, talked about 43 kids in a classroom. I just, how, how can you expect kids from a poor, low-income background to keep up with kids from a well-to-do background when you have that kind of inequity? And the city is supposedly committed to bridging that gap. Uh, that's what every mayor says he or she wants to do. And yet when it comes to uh, dedicating our city's resources to, to trying to do that by, like, something basic, like more social workers or nurses or, uh, you know, an art program or a drama program, they pull back and they hold off. They never have the money for that. So I think it's pretty outrageous uh, that we have not already as a city committed uh, to some of these employment goals. And that has nothing to do with the teacher strike. All right. And then there's more to this uh, story here. And because I guess this is how politics works. All right. There must be no way around this. We have now picked sides. All right. Who's on team Lori? Who's on team teachers? Our host, Ben Jarofsky. Well, Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! As you know, he's team teachers, yeah. all right? But... There are those out there, Ron. even among... What's so funny? Bruce Rauner doing yay for our teachers. But there are those out there, even among those of the left-leaning persuasion, who beg to differ. In fact, the following from the Illinois political bulldogs over at Illinois Politico and one Shia Kapos may have given us some insight as to why uh, some out there are on the mayor's side on all of this. According to three people close to the negotiations... There's a more sinister plot, Ben. Okay, yeah. Here's the piece from Illinois Politico. With an October 17th strike date set, Mayor Lightfoot and her negotiators are ready, come what may. They've offered up what they can uh, what they can to make a deal with the Chicago Teachers Union, but they may be realizing the CTU's beef at this point isn't really about money. It's about, now this is from... Illinois Politico. It's about CTU exercising demons of the mayoral campaign, according to three sources familiar with the negotiations. Uh, the wording in this kind of screams Lightfoot spokespeople. You took the bait, Politico! <laughs> 
A year ago, the union threw itself into the mayor's race in support of Tony Preckwinkle. CTU members uh, did field organizing, led rallies, and created some of the vitriol toward Lightfoot that exists today. CTU even gave $100,000 in member dues to Preckwinkle's sputtering campaign just days before the April runoff election. That's when Preckwinkle came out with the infamous TV ad trying to link frontrunner Lightfoot to a deadly fire in 2004. Lightfoot's victory, winning every single ward, was a blow to CTU's power and perceptions about its influence. And the union has been struggling to get some of its mojo back ever since. CTU's dilemma is that it's trying to wage a war with a mayor who's not Rahm Emanuel, an enemy CTU knew how to fight. Battling Lightfoot is challenging for the union. She's an African-American woman who came from humble beginnings. Her politics are progressive, and she shares CTU's values. They should be allies. The leadership at Chicago Public Schools has changed, too. It's now led by two African-American women who are former school teachers. But a strike may prove to be CTU's best way to demonstrate it still wields power, though CTU dismisses the notion. The union says Lightfoot, quote, ran on a platform built on her words, equity and and educational justice. If she's willing to break that promise out of vindictiveness, that's just appalling, according to a spokeswoman. All right, the article goes on. You can read it in Illinois Politico, but Benny J, we have to ask you the question. <laughs> Are the Chicago teachers working up a nefarious plot and seeking revenge uh, on the mayor for the on. election? Let, let me drink my Lori Kool-Aid. Mmm. I just had a delicious sip of Lori Kool. Oh, of course. Whatever Politico said. Uh, first of all, I think there was a, 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 a mistake in there. They talked. They said that two of the heads of the Chicago uh, Teachers Union are African-American. And Jesse Sharkey, the president of the Chicago Teachers Union, is a white man. Uh, I think... I not I can't read the writer's mind, but I she's probably alluding to uh, Stacey Davis Gates, who by the way will be on this show on Friday, uh, who's vice president of the union, and she is African American woman uh, who used to be a public school teacher here in the city of Chicago. So uh, I, there's the head of the union is a white guy for what it's worth. Um, I. I always find it interesting that there's this assumption that because the leaders of forces uh, of like of institutions are, are black women, they're supposed to get along automatically. Uh, that, that's that's been sort of like an underlying theme in the uh, uh, coverage of the relationship between Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. Um, I know a lot of white women that don't get along. I know a lot of black women that don't get along. I know a lot of white men that don't. You know this notion that just because you're each, everybody's black in this situation, they're going to get along, kind of is disproven by, like, the history of the world. <laughs> so this notion that Lori Lightfoot is supposed to get along with Stacey Davis Gates and whoever that uh, other African-American woman they were uh, alluding to, uh, maybe the writer was thinking of Karen Lewis, who... Uh, retired is no longer the head of the uh, she's a black woman it's no longer the head of Chicago Teachers Union anyway uh, I don't I, I never buy into that uh, secondly the argument that the teachers are just hell-bent on proving that they're a force in the city of Chicago uh, in the aftermath of the um, election is really sort of underestimating uh, the the passion and the attitudes that many of the rank and file have uh, about the about what they do as teachers and the, the need to address some of the inequities that we were talking about. If I mean, it just sort of says like, well, all teachers are just pawns in a chess game controlled by the leaders of the union who are still mad uh, about the election results. Now, D, as much as I love my beloved Chicago Teachers Union, 
I thought they overplayed their hand in the uh, election. I personally, as you know, and I said this in, the, in print and on the show, did not see a great difference between Tony Perkwinkle and Lori Lightfoot in terms of their past, what they brought to the table. I didn't think either of them were like a true-blooded progressives who've been on the front lines. Uh, so I, I have no idea how Tony Perkwinkle will be handling this situation if she was mayor now. I don't know how the teachers would be handling it. Would the teachers, if Tony Perkwinkle were the mayor— be advocating for uh, special ed teachers, more special ed teachers or more, excuse me, more counselors and more nurses have that baked into the contract. I like to think they would. The, the writer there is suggesting that they perhaps they wouldn't. Uh, but this is a very important issue re- that deals with the kids of the city of Chicago. And it's not about personalities. It's not about who won the last elections. It's all about what are we as a city going to do to make a commitment to try to help the people who are most vulnerable in our city. And I think the city has failed miserably uh, uh, in that f- effort. And I do believe, we talk so much about crime in the city of Chicago. I do believe there's a correlation between the inequities in our public schools and crime in the city of Chicago. So I think that's like to to have a total, a whole holistic approach to all this and aside this, it shouldn't be a labor issue. The notion of fairly funding our schools should not be a labor issue. It should be something that the city is committed to completely on its own. And I think it's, uh, it's unfortunate that it is a labor issue. So I, I have a hard time believing that you could get 94% of teachers in the city of Chicago uh, to uh, to vote to go on strike as a, a, an aftermath of the uh, mayoral election. Um, I think I've heard many Lori Lightfoot people tell me the same thing, uh, and I think the writer just bought that argument, and I'm, I'm not buying that argument right now. By the way, today on Mayor Lightfoot's schedule, a city hall visit for a media briefing in the morning, and then at Four Seasons to give remarks at the Chicago Humanities Festival. Oh, and uh, a phone call to Illinois Politico for uh, having to put that uh, CTU piece out. Whoa. Uh, at least a text, huh? <laughs> Good story. Yeah. <laughs> at least some kind of oh something. Oh, my huh? God. Do you think about that, D? Are you going to go on strike? Are you going to walk just because of the your your union looked bad in the last election by endorsing the lady you lost? I mean, I, I, again, yeah, CTU overplayed its hand. We talked about that all the time in this show, you know. It, it was pretty obvious that Tony Preckle was going to lose. Why are you pouring more money behind uh, her campaign? So I think they overplayed their hand. But the notion that this is all about getting revenge for that election is pretty far-fetched people are putting a lot on the line you know like you got mortgage payments you got to worry about you got rent payments you got to worry about serious stuff out there people are going to go without paychecks you think people are going to go without paychecks like oh you know i was we were embarrassed by Lori lightfoot i i'm going to strike to show Lori lightfoot that you know i'm powerful too in this town oh man i just just makes sense i don't know anybody would say that do you know anybody those are awfully sour grapes do you you know anybody yeah really (laughs) anybody in alton is gonna i think i'll go potentially bankrupt and lose my house so i could send a point to the mayor of alton i mean good god who does that like like times are hard (laughs) people like it's got this notion like these wealthy teachers out there with these portfolios well just you know i'll sell my picasso painting and uh pay the rent and feed my family and that'll show Lori Lightfoot. Anyway. And just for the record, just so everybody knows, Ben, who did you vote for? I voted for Lori Lightfoot okay. twice. 
I voted for her in the primary, and then I voted for her in the general election. Did not vote for Tony Prankwinkle, and Tony Prankwinkle supporters have been giving me grief about that ever since. Told you, Ben. Told you, Ben. How many times do I hear that, man? But I voted for Lori Lightfoot twice. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that'll uh, keep happening, by the oh, way. All right. Told you, Ben. <laughs> I get it from both sides. <laughs> from the current mayor to the former. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Okay, enough oh, about your bike. God. Wait, how long was it, though? Yeah, how many say? miles? Nearly 1,000 miles. Wow, very impressive, Rom. What an athlete. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. uh, thousand miles. I always think it's 10,000, but it was only 1,000. <laughs> only 1,000. Good one is he. Uh, uh, an Olympic star or something? 10,000. All right, but so we all saw his television pundit performance oh, uh, during the job. debate a couple of weeks back. Uh, you know, I think progressives are really oh, where the energy this, the is right now. And I think if you can expand the electorate, which is what we saw in 08, bringing out new voters, particularly brown and black voters, young voters, energize the base where you don't have to change your message much, right? Just go out and get those voters excited. We can win. Oh, comes I saw you shaking your head real oh, quick. What's the rebuttal here? Well, first of all, Donald Trump is going to do a great job turning out our vote. Oh. And in 08, as well as in 92, 96, and in 12, is because both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama brought other people, not just people in the party, other people to the party. I'm Ben. I can't remember. What were your thoughts on that again? <laughs> that is a recipe for disaster for the Democrats if they pay. I wrote about that a couple of weeks ago. Right? Listen to that advice. You could just hand over the White House back to Donnie Trump or Mike Pence, uh, for that matter, if Donald, young Donald has been impeached, which I doubt is going to happen. But uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Just He's just assuming the base is going to turn out. Oh, base, turn out. Like, there you go. Like, it's that easy here in the city of Chicago. We are lucky to get 33% or 34% to show up for a mayoral election. But no. Oh, Donald Trump. Boom. We're, we're going to double it. We're going to get 60%. Yeah, that's how it works. Well, this former mayor of ours is a multi-talented man. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. He can ride a bike better than nobody. And uh, let's see. He's got the pundit ish, the thing going on here. Uh, at the bottom of the list, by the way, being a mayor. <laughs> he wasn't a very good mayor. No. Great bike rider, though. But he's a writer as well. But, you know, he's not a very good basketball player. Remember Pat Quinn talking about that? Oh, goodness. Yeah, what, yeah. What did he say? He goes, as a basketball player. Oh, Rom's a very good ballet dancer. That's my Pat Quinn imitation. But Rom the writer has returned. Yes, uh, every now and again, Rom Emanuel sit in his basement and <laughs> write a very stoic uh, yeah. piece. Ben, what was the last one he wrote? It was uh, involving New York, right? I can't remember. The greatest Talking about system. how the Chicago transit oh, no, system no, was no, way no, no, better no, no, than no. New that York. That wasn't the last one he wrote, but that was uh, when he was mayor. Uh, the last, I think the last one he wrote was literally about the elites of the system or taking advantage of people. But anyway, the one you're alluding to, yes, was by 2017. He was still the mayor of the city of Chicago, busy as he was running the city. All right. Busy as he was working out and riding that bike, uh, busy as he was, uh, you know, wheeling and dealing as Rom, only Rom could do. He had time to uh, write an essay for The New York Times about what New York can learn from Chicago about its public transit system. All right. Give it advice to New York. How about that? New Yorkers loved that, didn't they? And as a weekly columnist for the Chicago Reader, what uh, what did you think about his, uh, his skills there as a writer? Well, well I thought that uh, he did not write the story the story. I, I believe his name 
was on the masthead. I think the only thing he wrote in that story was his name at the top of the masthead. I did not think he wrote the story, but I didn't think much of that argument. But this one, uh, you take the deep dive in there, it's just it's not bad. This, this oh, one. Oh, this okay. Well, we'll get your review in a minute here. Rahm Emanuel has written in the Washington Post, uh, no more local politics. Yeah, it turns out everybody here doesn't really care for him. He's writing national political no, national. columns. All right. Yeah, leave Chicago. Nobody liked it. I'm smart you're not. Rode his bike on out of here. All right. So Rob Emanuel writes in the Washington Post. Oh, boy. I'm going to say a name here, Ben. Now, please just hold your excitement. We have to do a show, all right? I don't want to see your buttons that you have of her. Rahm Emanuel writes in the Washington Post that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's majority and her legacy hang in the balance. What we are about to witness is a balancing act for both parties, Rob Emanuel writes. He continues saying Pelosi needs to move the process expeditiously, but the process needs to be seen as fair, not just fast. The charges must be clear, and the evidence needs to prove beyond any doubt that any proposed punishment fits the severity of the crime. Democrats will do themselves no favors if they fail to hold the president accountable, but they should be wary of overstepping as well. Yeah, this is Rom's advice uh, to the Democratic parties and to uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and it's the it's a classic uh, centrist advice. Uh, it's one that's very concerned, again, going back to that issue of how do you win an election? And uh, what Rom is very concerned that if the Democrats are too aggressive in uh, going after Donald Trump, uh, then they will alienate swing voters who don't think the Democrats are fair. And right there and then they're making a huge concession to Donald Trump. Donald Trump does not in any way care about playing fair. He is counterpunched. He's trashing everybody by name. We talked about, we had fun yesterday reading his Twitter, his tweets where he was, uh, uh, he was, Wait, what was the, the bullshit one yesterday? Well, hey, watch your oh, mouth. I'm not allowed Come to swear. On. You're right. My so, um, I'd rather have you talk about sports. Yeah. Uh, so Donald Trump gets to play under one set of rules, but the Democrats are supposed to play under another set of rules because presumably the Democrats will lose uh, all the swing voters who are apparently, if you follow this logic, willing to tolerate uh, Donald Trump's excesses excesses, but would find it uh, intolerable if the Democrats did anything remotely the same. So a very tight parameter of what he's going to allow Democrats to do uh, in this upcoming impeachment inquiry. Or, uh, that's his advice anyway in this essay. No collusion. <laughs> well, we got, we got that settled. <laughs> Haven't heard that one in a while. Alright, so yeah, Rom the writer. Go read the rest of that if you want. We're done talking about it here. Uh, but not so bad, says Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, well, I still don't think he wrote it. Oh, somebody okay. else wrote okay. it. And, uh, I have, listen, I got a hard time believing any of these people write anything. Miguel Devaya is the current head of the uh, school board. He wrote, quote unquote, wrote an essay for the Sun Times, ran about a couple of weeks ago about the, uh, what a great job Lori Lightfoot is doing and how she's not Rom. And it was, you know, it was a well written essay. Uh, whoever wrote it did a great job. I just don't believe it was Miguel Devaya. Well, one of my favorite things back when we talked about uh, Rom writing that article uh, involving uh, comparing the CTU to New York's uh, transit system. CTA, yeah. Oh, yeah, CTA. Yeah. Sorry. Got teacher strike yeah, on right, the brain. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, the ROM sitting down writing it. How, oh, yeah. how would that go? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't done that bit in a while. Uh, honey, I need a word, you know, a synonym for train. What do you got for me? Ron down in the basement uh, in his underwear writing. Because, like, most writers, you know, it's it's 
not a glamorous. We have a writer in the room. He can tell you it's not a glamorous thing, you know. And uh, in that piece, didn't he? Comp- didn't he uh, reference Mussolini? Yes, he did. The, yeah. Uh, and then, oh, that was my favorite part. That, now you're bringing back memories. Uh, thank you, Miles, for that one. He said the trains run on. Time. The, he said the trains run on time, which is uh, a, a, an allusion to Mussolini, the, dic- the fascist dictator from Italy. It was said of Mussolini that say what you will about Mussolini, but at least the trains run on time. So when the New York uh, people in New York were outraged by the column that Rom wrote, and they said, he, they pointed out that he was comparing him uh, to Mussolini. Uh, Rom said, uh, no, uh, they were misquoting his uh, article. And then I took the time to read the article, and I saw the Mussolini reference in the article, which point I concluded, not only did Rom not write this essay, he didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> the only part he read was his by Rahm Emanuel. That was his favorite part, by the way. Uh, the by Rahm Emanuel. Do him uh, writing in the basement again. Honey, what's a synonym for a train? <laughs> huh? You know, because it's usually it's like in my family, like somebody's upstairs, somebody's downstairs. That's how we commute. Hey! That, nobody's ever in the same. Good times. Uh, you remember that one, huh, Dave? No, yeah. Well, that went back. <laughs> Honey! <laughs> so there you are, the latest in what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois. Hey, Ben, you know it's uh, football season, right? Ready, set, 2020. Oh, ready, set, 2020. How are you feeling about the football season? Uh, you know what? I love my beloved Bears, but man, oh, man, oh, man. Could you guys draft a quarterback? Good God. <laughs> yeah, all right. Get Mahomes on there right now. Yeah, get Mahomes on there, guys. <laughs> But hey, podcast fans, the team at the Chicago Sun-Times, they have a new show to add to your listening lineup, especially if you're a big fan of when Ben talks about sports for about 45 seconds on this show. This football season, you can get the inside scoop on the Chicago Bears with Hallis Intrigue. Wow. The latest podcast from the Chicago Sun-Times. Tune in to hear so many Sun-Times sports reporters and Bears experts make predictions, provide insights, and analyze the day's big stories. Stay informed this football season. Listen to Hallis Intrigue at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. And be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Check it out now at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. Ready, set, 2020 blue dog what's the other ones you say red dog oh 2020 you gotta put your arms out here because you're telling the crowd quiet quiet gotta call an audible all right <laughs> hear that yeah quiet quiet set 2020 huh, huh. hey and remember you can download previous ben Jarofsky shows and benny j bonus interviews at both chicago sun times at chicago reader websites chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts Hey, downloaders, you know we live stream this program, right? It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And we now live stream on Facebook at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Give us a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do. We'll see you tomorrow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.